0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton.
1: Welcome to the Knowledge at Wharton podcast. I'm Deborah Yao, a senior editor here at Knowledge at Wharton, and it is my pleasure to introduce our two guests today who will be talking about building business value by optimizing digital experiences using cloud platform services. Joining us in the studio is Scott Snyder, who is a senior fellow at Wharton's Mac Institute for Innovation Management, an adjunct professor of engineering at the University of Pennsylvania, and a partner at Hydric Consulting, leading dig- digital and innovation. Joining us by phone is Dan Lal, vice president of product marketing at SAP. Welcome. Thanks, Deborah. Thank
2: you for having us,
0: Deborah.
1: The benefits of cloud computing are pretty well established. Companies recognize that investing in on-premises technology is no longer a cost-effective and nimble way to adapt to the changing needs of users. A better, more flexible, and highly scalable strategy is to use a platform in the cloud to build applications that work across digital devices and can more ably address customer demands in real time. Of course, there are going to be hiccups along the way. So in your view, what are some of the biggest challenges companies face when delivering new experiences?
0: I'll jump in on that, Deborah. This is Scott. Um, I think the first thing is they fail to work from the customer backwards and really start with the customer experience because at the end of the day, cloud's there to enable uh, these experiences across touch points. And if you just look at mobile as a proxy, and mobile and smartphones have been around quite a bit, um, still right now, 60% of applications on mobile devices get abandoned after five uses. Uh, That's not very good, right? That's not a great track record for industry, which means we're falling short on building good experiences. I think the other thing is something we call the customer expectation ratchet. So no matter what industry you're in, uh, if a customer has a great experience in the entertainment sector or in retail and they walk into your bank or your healthcare institution, they're going to expect that same experience, uh, something we call immersive, cognitive, and trusted, right? So not only will you allow them to use any touch point they want, whether it's voice, mobile, uh, gestures, VR, and right now 25% of searches are voice. um, They want it to know them and recognize them. They don't want to have to fill in a form again. They want to be, Uh, have it be a personalized experience no matter what channel they come in on. That's the cognitive part, the heavy lifting on the analytics side behind the scenes. Um, And then they want it to be trusted. If they're going to share their data, they want to get something back, the give and the get. Um, You know, they, they want to know the benefits there, and they want to know that their data is going to be protected and used responsibly. So I think companies are still figuring this out and bringing that all together.
1: Dan?
2: Yeah, and, I, I, and, and this is Dan. I want to touch on what Scott said about the multi-channel experience. And, and historically, there have been different tools and, and application services for delivering across each one of those different channels. And for the IT group to deliver an omni-channel or multi-channel experience that is consistent across the, all these channels is really, really hard that's uh, that that that's been really, really hard to do because the IT group has used different tools and technologies for each different channel. Um, and then secondly, uh, Scott talked about involving the end user. Uh, again, uh, the, the joke within the IT group historically has been uh, a user gives you a definition of the application. You go away, you write it for six months. And you bring it to the end user, and then then user says, "I have no idea what that this application is, how it runs how it how it operates, because I wasn't involved in the design of it and so I think that's a big challenge as well, especially with with old legacy and and monolithic applications
1: so that's a good um that's a good point. Why is it critical to manage both legacy and new applications
2: yeah, so this is dan and um so the the legacy and new ap- applications have to exist today. So uh, uh, most companies are not unicorns. They're not starting out just in uh, digital applications. They've got a whole um, uh, portfolio of legacy applications that are actually running the company. And um, my soundbite on a legacy application is a legacy application is any application that's actually working and servicing your business today. So uh, customers are going to have to be utilizing both legacy as well as new applications, and they may have to do a lot of work to re-energize those legacy applications. Just look at what banks are doing today, and I think Scott talked a little bit about that. They have to securely deliver new experiences to uh, different platforms and and, uh, different mobile devices. And so the 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 new applications have to be built into the warp and woof of the current application stack um, uh, so that the customers can innovate.
0: yeah, I totally agree with Dan. Uh, you know a these legacy ap- applications aren't easily switched over to to new platforms very quickly, but they have to start taking advantage of things like the cloud to get the efficiencies. Uh, but more importantly, most of the the important data assets of legacy companies are locked up in these legacy applications, right? So uh, whether it's EMRs for health systems, whether it's point-of-sale systems for retailers, if you really want to capture these new immersive experiences, you have to tap into that legacy data asset. Uh, so if you're a customer and you're walking into a cap- cafe and you want to tap a kiosk and have it know your health profile and show you foods that might be good for you, uh, that means you're accessing legacy uh, data sources in legacy applications. So so bringing these together onto a modern architecture is really important for companies to do.
2: And, Scott, I think that's really critical, too. And we'll, we'll probably talk about this later on, but the agility of the cloud to be able to build new applications quickly and new multi-channel applications quickly off of the existing legacy data so that customers can mine the existing data that they have, I think is going to be really important as well. Also, the metadata component to that, so having a common understanding of all of the data across the enterprise that then can be used into new applications and and new experiences for customers, partners, and for employees, really important.
1: Well, that sounds like this kind of integration is really important. But uh, the question from a CFO would be, well, what kind of return on investment can one get by using the cloud to enhance the digital experience? And how big of an investment could be expected?
0: Um, There's lots of different numbers that people throw around, but I've seen numbers that are pretty dramatic, right? The companies that have made the investment in transitioning to cloud along with these new experience and touch points like mobile, along with analytics, because they kind of all go together, right? Uh, moving to cloud and not taking advantage of those doesn't make sense. Uh, they're seeing 50% or more revenue growth boost over their peers, right? So so the data is showing if, if you made this investment, I think back to Dan's point, it, it – It's as much about the flexibility and speed as it is is about the economics. In fact, public cloud sometimes can actually be more expensive because you're paying on demand, uh, you know, by the bite, um, whereas maybe private cloud might be a better solution. But either way, the speed at which you can move, launch new products, respond to customers um, is really the advantage cloud brings you.
2: Yeah, and, and I agree with Scott. You know, customer satisfaction is really huge and that's tied to the digital experience. It turns out that unhappy customers share their story three times more than, than happy customers. And in fact, I've been accused of my kids of being a, an old angry guy on Instagram because I, I post things that, that, that uh, give me bad experiences. So I've, so I've stopped that. So I've, I've done that. Um, but uh, it, it, rich experience and good experience that is, that really matters. And in a, a previous research we did with Wharton, um, it, it showed that companies that invest in design and experiences outperform the S- S&P 500 by a great margin. And the the one thing we think is kind of interesting, just just one um, uh, data point that we've got from a Forrester Consulting study that we did, um, with a good experience, we saw that um, the, the perception of the company, such as SAP or another vendor, or the end-using customer who's built the application by providing a rich experience, that increases the perception of um, that company is being innovative by 28%. So uh, experience matters. For sure.
1: So let's drill down a little bit on the financial aspect of this and um, um, and ask you both, how much does a company have to invest in DX and platform strategies relative to its size and goals? And should you reach a certain scale before an investment makes sense?
0: I think uh, this is Scott. I mean, it's always a depends answer, right? It depends what industry you're in. It depends... Uh, whether you're a B2C or B2B business and um, really where you are in your own digital maturity. Uh, the important thing is that you're thoughtful and you have a, a mission-driven approach to um, to investment in these types of activities, right? Because ultimately, uh, back to Dan's point, it's about delivering a superior customer experience. It's driving step change outcomes in your business, uh, for your customers. And you have to work backwards from that and make sure your investments support that across all these touch points. Um, I mean, if you look at the latest data, companies spend 10% of their IT budgets on software. Uh, I would argue it's not enough, right? Uh, almost every company has to become a software company. If you look at companies like Domino's Pizza, that some people might view as a traditional company, they've been on this fantastic digital journey and, and now are you know, maybe a huge portion of their workforce is digital uh, and really focused on using those analytics, using things like cloud to deliver a better experience. Uh, They've made significant investments. So I think it really depends on um, where you are in your journey and how you wrap that around the customer experience. But certainly it should be a significant portion of your IT spend.
2: Yeah, and, and Scott, we have seen at SAP, you know, h- historically SAP was the classic monolithic application suite that was expensive, took a long time to uh, to implement, and and it was a long rollout cycle for a lot of customers. And and we have really changed that with the cloud platform tools that we offer to extend applications or integrate cloud SaaS applications together with on-premises applications or just to build uh, new functionality on top of your existing data or application set. And so what we what we offer from a cloud platform perspective is, is uh, a set of tools and technologies that are services-based, and the way we see customers consuming this is they will come to us with a project that we want to do that will extend, let's say, S4HANA, which is our core ERP application and we want to uh, create a new um, a partner portal for example so we'll give them a set of services that they consume on a pay-as-you-go basis and they pick and choose the services that they want and, and we get into a fast fail type of, of uh, project with them where they can prove out this new portal uh, for, for their partners for example in six to eight weeks and if it meets reaches minimum viable product, then they can roll that out in, in another month or two. So we see that customers are consuming cloud platform to extend and integrate applications on a project-by-project project basis, and they're just spinning up project-by-project uh, and project in, 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 in imagining uh, projects as they go. So it's no longer a monolithic way that they're Delivering new experiences, but rather on a project by project and and uh, and much more fast basis, much more agile basis. And Scott, I don't know if you see that from the other vendors, but that's clearly how we see uh, customers enriching uh, our SaaS applications going forward.
0: Yeah, I think that's really key for driving you know what people refer to as a two-speed business model, where you're. You're obviously running your current business. You have to do that successfully, but you're spinning up this rapid experimentation and, uh, and the ability to slice your infrastructure to support or light up those new applications at a small scale until you can prove them out, especially things like AI and machine learning, where you're testing new algorithms. You want to make sure they're, they're hitting the mark. They're providing a return before you deploy them more broadly. Uh, that ability and flexibility to have the infrastructure uh, be able to almost in these microservices is really important.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we had one example in uh, in, in northern UK called Northern Gas. And they, they actually took a heartbeat application, which was an old legacy application. We wrote it in cloud platform in about four months and, and employed that to their service engineers across their enterprise. And the key uh, KPI for them was they had to respond to any gas leak across their customer base within an hour. That's why it was uh, uh, what they called a a heartbeat application. And they were able to provide a whole new mobile experience for all their service workers to be able to uh, get to the right person, the right service person at the right time to go out to a customer residence to check a gas leak. And they did that all through a, a, a mobile application. Again, they did that in six months. And that's really all about user experience for the service worker.
1: On that note, what advice or best practices can you share about cloud-based platforms and the digital experience?
0: So I think, um, once again, coming back to start, be customer-centric and work backwards and think about the give and the get and and immersive, cognitive, and trusted, and really balancing all those as you design and architect these new applications Mm -hmm. Uh, Because ultimately, that's what's going to meet this customer expectation that's rising every day. Um, And that means also being able to expose your data assets, your services, whether they're legacy or new, both to internal innovators and external ones. And once again, having the flexibility of a cloud infrastructure to do that uh, and an API type um, approach to the world is, is really crucial if you want to innovate at the speed of the market. Um, so I think, I think that's really important, and you can't think of DX and cloud as separate things. They're really very intertwined. Um, so I think that, that's probably the biggest message I give people.
2: Yeah, I, w- I would tag along with Scott that take a, a, a cloud platform type of approach to expose all your data and all your business processes to take advantage of both the investment and and, uh, nuggets that you have in the data as well as business processes that can then be extended and enriched um, along the way and again you can do that very quickly in an agile cloud environment I think the other really really important thing is involve your users on every step of the process so not only during the design phase but also in the prototyping phase and, and, and during the, the final, the, the, the final um, uh, phase where you're ready to go live so that the end user at the end of the day has the reaction to the, the new user experience uh, with one of, well, of course I like the user experience because I helped design it and they, uh, through this agile process, uh, the IT group actually designed what I wanted all along the way and I got input uh, all through the process. So I think bringing them into the mix throughout the whole design, development, deployment process, really, really critical.
0: Yeah, and that's where the analytics it becomes so important because getting those customer insights to understand where the customers having a pain point or need. I mean, who knew we ever need needed over-the-air software updates for our car until Tesla started providing them? And all of a sudden, it's now set a new standard for the experience that if I want, you know, rain-sensing wipers, I just download a piece of software and I can change that experience so my car gets better with age or that an Espresso machine will automatically reorder its own, you know, cartridges um, so I don't have to worry about that anymore as a customer. So, you know, really wrapping yourselves around using those analytics to deliver better experience uh, is really what cloud enables.
2: And, you know, it, that's really interesting, Scott, because I have a, a personal situation with another car manufacturer. I won't mention It's a German car manufacturer. But they, uh, they came to me and they said, hey, you have uh, an update needed for the software in your car. Bring it in. We'll keep it for two days. And we're only going to charge you $200 instead of $400 to do the software upgrade. And they've totally missed the mark that the new bar is over-the-air upgrades for free, like Tesla does every two weeks, and and so that's the new bar that that uh, people are expecting in this digital experience. Automatically done, automatically updated, done in increments of two weeks, not every six months, and you don't have to bring, uh, you don't have to bring your uh, equipment in to get it updated by a professional.
1: Can you both share more examples from a variety of businesses or industries? of how a cloud-based platform leads to improved DX and customer satisfaction, improved sales, profits, and cost savings, faster and more efficient responses to customers, and other gains.
0: Dan, do you want to take that one? or?
1: Sure,
2: I, I can take that. We've had a number of customer examples, and, and I'll just maybe highlight uh, a couple of them. But there's a company called Leo Pharma, and they uh, operate in over 61 countries. Uh, They've got an international sales force, and so they're in the the pharmaceutical industry. And they established a new user experience infrastructure using our product, SAP Cloud Platform, again, this agile cloud-based development environment uh, for their IT uh, employees, To give seamless access to back end application processes that SAP owns using our uh, our next generation user experience called Fiori Launchpad. And so um, this enables employees to do um, time registration, uh, time logging from any device, and then managers to approve. the the time registration and and logging from from any device as well, whether that be uh, on their um, system in the office, at home, or on their their mobile device. So they were able to put 600 new users on this application in only two months. And again, it was an application that was built in the the, the space of less than a half a year. It was about a a, a quarter and a half to build this new Uh, experience for these customers. So 600 new users in two months. There was almost no training time across those 600 new users. There was less than 15 hours spent for the global uh, training time and registration total. And then there was a more than 75% reduction in the process time for capturing the workflows, the the time uh, that the consultants were putting in, and workflow approvals. So uh, just a huge automation win on that as well. So onboarding very quickly, uh, almost no training needed at all, and then a 75% reduction in uh, in uh, input and workflow approvals.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad, Scott, Dan. Scott, you
2: want to take the next one?
0: Yeah, well, I was actually going to just pile on to that one a bit uh, in that I'm glad you mentioned an employee application uh, because sometimes I think the employee and also B2B companies are sometimes the forgotten one. We spend a lot of time uh, in academia and the media talking about uh, B2C companies. And when you think about the opportunity around enabling employees with the same kind of experience, uh, whether it's field workers, whether it's folks in your plant, uh, to be able to do things differently and and work in a new way. It's the same kind of uh, basic approach. And I think when when you think about uh, B2B companies that are using things like sensorization uh, to not only monitor equipment in the field, whether it's a locomotive or a windmill, but then actually build digital twins and simulate that that asset, right, that piece of equipment, and be able to simulate and run different applications, try new algorithms without disrupting the production environment. That's all cloud-enabled. And the ability to do that for B2B companies is a game-changer. It it allows them to deliver proactive services. It allows them to change their business model towards, you know, instead of just delivering a piece of equipment, they deliver a service focused on the customers end need.
2: Yeah, and and we've actually had a number of customers actually – uh, change their business model to service as a blank. You know, we've had uh, companies who uh, build huge tractors, and, and I'll talk about a, a earth-moving equipment company in a second, but we had another company who uh, built huge tractors. They're not selling the tractors anymore. They're selling tractor-as-a-service and uptime for tractors. We had another company that used to build very large air compressor equipment for manufacturing applications. They're now selling air as a service and uptime of air as a service and billing that to their customers at um, uh, at an hourly or, or daily basis. And they can do that because they've built that, as you've been talking about, Scott, predictive analytics into their applications, checking the efficacy of their uh, compressors or uh, farming equipment and being able to understand when they need to do preventative maintenance so that there's not any breakdown in the equipment So, uh, very very interesting Uh, let me talk about Komatsu for a second another b2b example as well so um, they are the second largest manufacturer of earth moving equipment and the american division of Komatsu built the distributor portal allowing their distributors to create orders uh for their products from anywhere on any device. Again, a multi-channel experience. And then those distributors are now able to view real time inventory and they can pass that on actually to their customers to find out when they're gonna actually get uh the, the parts and systems that they ordered uh and, and view the product catalog information online. And through this portal, they were able to get a 99.3% customer satisfaction rate. And if you compare that with normal stats that says uh, 84% of consumers say their their experience all, uh, experiences fall short of expectations, 99.3% customer satisfaction is really uh, a great achievement. Um, and then uh, some of the other key metrics through this, this uh, distributor portal that they built were a 40% time-saving during order entry and a 99% adoption among their distributors that adopted the portal. So uh, clearly this new multi-channel experience that they provided has been very successful for Komatsu America.
1: Wonderful. Um, So we'll just stay tuned for further developments We'll leave it there. Thank you, both of you, for a fascinating conversation and for joining us today at Knowledge at Wharton.
0: Thank you.
2: Great. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time.
1: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.